You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. Have your little ones discovered the adventures of Little Jay and Big Cuz yet? It's about two Indigenous kids who live with their wise grandma and old dog, and they're the animated stars of a new NITV series. Deborah Mailman and Miranda Tapsell lend their voices to the groundbreaking program, which takes a light-hearted look at growing up in outback Australia. Tony Thorne is the animator and director behind the show, and he joins us today. Hi, Tony. How are you? All right. How did Little Jay and Big Cuz come about? Oh, well, I was approached by the producer of the show and he came on board through the pestering of an organisation for the Australia Council for Educational Research. They were really interested in getting little kids, little Aboriginal kids, kids ready to go to school in a positive way, bridging that gap in the best way that they could. And their research was telling them that a show about kids having fun and part of that fun was school was one of the best tools that they could have to get that message out there. Slip it under the doors of households where the TVs were on. So Asa tested Ned and Ned sort of found me because I'd written some stories about my Aboriginal family in Tasmania and through Screen Australia, they found me. So that's how it all got connected. By that stage, Ned had gathered around the project a bunch of Aboriginal writers And so really what they were doing was sort of retelling the stories of their childhood and that was how we formed the family. I can't actually remember when I was growing up seeing any cartoons depicting Indigenous children. Part of me is kind of a bit sad that this has come out of a research initiative and not just simply a let's entertain all Australians. Yes, I mean, so, so there's a few things there that I totally agree with. Firstly, this should have happened 20 years ago. The whole research thing, yeah. When I heard that it was being driven that way at the start, I was very dubious. And it was really that Ned's background produced Last Cab to Darwin recently, very much in the vein of, you know, telling gritty stories, but true stories, and they're not intended to be educational in that way. So we, what we set out to do with the show was make an entertaining show for kids. Yes, school does appear in every episode, but it's often not the major part of what's going on in an episode. So, you know, it took me a long time to be convinced that we weren't just doing a sort of worthy, um, preachy thing. Um, (laughs) but, But what was encouraging was really how the writers were approaching it. It was really their enthusiasm, and there was some negativity there. Oh, we've never done this before. You know, you can't have a show with a generic Aboriginal family. You know, everyone, you know everyone's got a mob, and they're from somewhere. They have to be from somewhere. But thankfully, there were enough writers who believed. I just want to talk about what you mentioned there about the diversity of Indigenous culture across Australia and that tension of not being too generic, but then you're doing an animation that is national and you're Mm. trying to appeal widely. How did you overcome that? I mean, obviously the writers came on board and decided, yep, okay, we're going to make this work. But how do you make something like that work? My approach was really to sort of put my hand up and say, I'm ignorant. Um, And to listen to the Aboriginal voices in most of the stakeholder bodies. 
as much as I could. I mean, there's certainly a bunch of stuff which is just about the practicalities of getting animation done, and I would drive them. I had some very strongly held views about the design for the show, so, you know, how it needed to be distinctly Australian. We were not going to go for a generic kid's saccharine colour palette. We were going to make this look and feel like Australia. All of those kind of things... And, and sometimes there were real curveballs in there, you know. You know, and, and it's like animation is sort of like, you know, it's almost like silent theatre a lot of the time, particularly kids' TV. Animators use these same devices over and over again. And one of them, for example, is character points when they're saying, oh, are you going to do that? And, you know, always hand, you know, character when they speak is always hand gesturing. And sometimes this would be written in the, the big print in a script by an Aboriginal writer. And then later we would get feedback from a stakeholder saying, oh, that's really bad. You know, this is really bad body language. And in my community, that would never happen. No one, no one uh, pointing at someone yeah. is, is very aggressive and absolute no-no. Mm. So, you know, these are the things that I was completely ignorant of. Mm. And, you know, and then, and then it was sort of gradually, you know, we got, once you explore that stuff, it's obvious. There's lots of reasons for it. It's a hunting tool. You know, my brother's talked about being in communities where whole conversations happen with no words through, through body language signs. So chin pointing, lots of things like that. So it's really small gestures. And this, is, this makes animators tear their hair up. The character character's just going to stand there and do it. No, no, no. We're going to do a chin point. And, you know, what's chin point? <laughs> and you will see them. There's, you know, in Wombat Rex, there's, you know, I go out at my homework. There's subtle things, but one of the really nice things for me is that now that this, the series is done is going back to writers and asking them, you know, did that work? Did you buy that? And they've been very enthusiastic that that stuff's been in there and quite confident that it's recognisable to communities. So that, for me, that's a very humbling thing. That's sort of like, you know, taking the show another step on and making something that really will work for our audience. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Tony Thorne, who's an animator and director, and we're talking about Little Jay and Big Cuz, which is a, a groundbreaking cartoon with two Indigenous kids living with their wise grandma and old dog, and it's all about their adventures in outback Australia. Tony, when you talk about your audience, I know that this series isn't just targeted at Indigenous kids. I'd just like to talk to you about the two facets of this. So you've got the children who live in outback Australia, who you've really tried to reach with this, both in how the landscape's presented and the people within the story. How important is it that that kind of representation is actually on their television screens, the kids that are out in communities. Mm. It's interesting that you make that observation because one of the things we were really determined to do was to not make it definitely an outback setting, although we, what we tried to do was squash Australia around the backyard of the house. Right. So, the idea, <laughs> so there's freshwater country, saltwater country and, and bush, saltwater country and desert all squashed around the backyard. So, you know, through different gaps, you go to different places. We don't dwell on how all that works, but that's kind of the idea. Mm -hmm. So if you see one episode, you might think, oh, it's set in the desert. They're, in, they're living in the desert. And if you see another episode, it's like, oh, you know, this could be Western New South Wales or, or 
So, or, you know, the other one is if they go to the coast, people always say, oh, it's Broome. That's where it is, Broome. And I had been to Broome just before I'd drawn that particular beach. But um, what we really wanted to do was because we know the reality of, of the bulk of the Aboriginal population lives outside of those remote areas. They live in major cities down the east coast. That's where the big populations are. So we wanted to be able to have the show set in both the outback and possibly, you know, like on the edges of a, of a major city. I don't think we quite got that. <laughs> but I think we're, we're already talking about tweaks in the second series where we can subtly suggest that there's more to the, to the world that they're in, like there's more people around, I think, so that, you know, you could be, you know, just on the outskirts of a little town or you could be on the outskirts of a major city. And that'll just be just a few changes to the landscape so we see more houses and it just looks and feels a little, just a little more urban than it did in the first one. That was definitely what we were aiming for. It's what we told ourselves we were doing. And of course, sometimes, you know, what you think you're doing and then how it's received can be quite different. And that was a bit of an eye-opener for us. It's definitely something we've taken on board and we'll just subtly tweak to try and make it feel that way. We also want to give Nana... A bit more of a life. Oh, poor old Nana. <laughs> yeah, well, she, you know, she's, she's doing the things around the house that you know a single guardian is going to do. She's doing everything basically, but so often she's in the kitchen or she's hanging out the laundry and those kind of things. And we kind of want her to have a bit more of a, you know, a social life and those kind of things. Yeah, um, I think that's a good but, idea for Nana. I think it's good for kids <laughs> to see those things. She'll, she'll have a job and there'll be a town. We'll be talking about a town and those kind of things as well that she goes to. Can I ask so, you, with the cartoon itself, you've already spoken about all the many layers that have gone into producing it in terms of identity and culture and thinking about how you're going to represent where the kids are and all that kind of stuff. How on earth do you manage to balance all of that while still keeping your key objective, which, as you mentioned at the start of this interview, is just entertaining kids? There were a few writers early on who kind of went, well, you know, just get it. Just, you can't do it. (laughs) Uh, And... uh, but the main, the main thing, and this is, this is true of any bit of drama on TV and pretty much true of any documentary that will compel you on TV is you just got to get a story. And for our audience, the main driver of the stories is Little Jay. As long as Little Jay has a sort of a problem to solve or he has an objective that he wants to achieve... That is what drives the story. And then all kinds of things can flow from that. So the adventure in the desert where they discover the the giant wombat jaw, the story of the Iperenia caterpillar. For us, that was a a big one. We were dealing with a traditional story from a a traditional group's story, you know, a story that they own. Mm. own. So Mm. we were very tentative about that. But the nice thing was... Nana doesn't say that it's her story. She says it belongs to someone else. I mean, I think the important thing to remember, though, is that a lot of these episodes are not so much about those traditional stories. So they are there, you know, there's traditional tracking in one. There's the wombat story, which has a sort of message of, you know, leave it in the ground and it's, you know, it's it's sort of part of our culture. These things are threaded through, you know, maybe five or six episodes. 
but not all. The rest of the episodes are really about two kids kind of having fun and, and having adventures that are, you know, they're about territory in the bedroom. They're about mistaking a, a dog in the backyard as an old dog as a monster. You know, things that could happen to any kid, really. There's a, you know, there's a slight sort of Aboriginal bent to them. And I think that's where they'll appeal to other kids, to white kids. And we've always hoped that that would be the case. The nice thing is that, you know, it's just that joy and positivity that, uh, that the show brings that has been great. And it, like, you know, within sort of my network, it's been a great response to it. So, I mean, from that point of view, it's fantastic. What's really heartening for me is how many different language groups have been prepared to voice episodes, really enthusiastic about that. I and mean, I think that says that we're achieving some level of identification with the show that, you know, people feel like little J and big, big cars could be their kids. And, and you know, little kids, I think, certainly my kids, you know, they seem to really get little J and big cars. So it's, that's very exciting for me. Oh, well, um, congratulations on making this animation and um, I look forward to hearing about Series 2. Tony, thank you so much for your time today. All right. Cheers. That's Tony Thorne. He's an animator and director of The Adventures of Little J and Big Cuz. You can check it out on NITV at 4pm and 7.30pm every day and it's also available online at nitv.org.au forward slash Little J Big Cuz. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.